दरअसल मैं कृष्ण मूर्ति पार्टनर एट उपेखा वैल्यूज एस एक्सीटर उपेखा इज एन एक्सीटेड अर्ली स्टेज फंड फॉर सैस स्टार्टअप दे हेल्प फाउंडर्स बिल्ड अ वैल्यू सैस दैट इज अ कैपिटल इफिशियंट बिजनेस दैट क्रिएट्स ग्रेट आउटकम्स फॉर ऑल स्टेक होल्डर्स एज अपोज टू वैनिटी सैस दैट इज रेजिंग टू मच टू अर्ली विदाउट सॉल्विंग यूनिट इकोनॉमिक्स The value SaaS way helps founders build a revenue flywheel engine for capital efficient growth first. So in this podcast, Prasanna has explained in detail about vanity and value SaaS and what this revenue flywheel is all about. We also spoke about the founders choice architecture and what are the implications of different options founders have at different stages. One big takeaway for me was how Prasanna explained the different risks founders are trying to mitigate through the life cycle of their startup. If you're a SaaS founder, I'll go to the extent to say that you must listen to this episode and share it with every founder you know. I'd also strongly recommend this to you if you're working in any startup or whether SaaS or not, or considering joining one. By the way, this is the first CTQ Smartcast with an Olympic medalist, even if it's a self-styled medal, at detecting startup BS. So do check it out. This is the CTQ Smartcast, where we have conversations about up-leveling, deliberate practice, and getting future relevant. Hi, welcome, Prasanna. Welcome to the CTQ Smartcast. Hey, Harish. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah, thank you. So we usually start with a curveball to all our guests, uh, but I think this is right down your alley. Uh, expecting you to, you know, dispatch this to the covers boundary. But uh, <laughs> what do you know about startup BS detection that others don't? <laughs> so I think uh, you know the uh, easiest person to bullshit is yourself. Right. Uh, so I think I did that uh, for a fair bit of time. Uh, fooled myself. Told myself a lot of bullshit in the. first couple of startups that i was in and so i realized that uh, i also realized that uh, there were a lot of advisors who were giving us very good advice uh, but in many cases they would couch the advice right they would say it in a way that was very nice and uh, you know as people in startups we are very thick skinned and so if somebody says something uh, that's like you know couched and uh, you know said gently and said nicely it doesn't sink in right right and uh, you know if somebody says something that is uh, 25% uh, nice and actually 75% they're trying to give you bad feedback you only hear the 25% you don't hear the 75% so i realized that uh, you know uh, while a lot of people had given us good advice the way they had said it was also in a way that we didn't sink in for us right for me so i realized that one it's easy to fool yourself it's easy to bullshit yourself and to get through that uh, is not easy and so founders obviously as founders we have to believe that uh, there is going to be a future which is uh, rosy while you know walking on a bed of thorns that means that you have to believe your own bullshit for a little while otherwise you're going to be like man my feet are bleeding <laughs> let me get off this bed of thorns right so that uh, is the hardest bit hmm. and so once i realize that you know i have to be able to uh, detect my own bullshit when am i selling bullshit to myself then i realize that i'm also uh, getting better at detecting other people's bullshit and many times uh, it happens that uh, many people have told them that 
but again many people have told them that to know you know nice polished kind of way and the founder is like oh yeah what you're sounding sounds great looks like you like what i'm doing let me continue <laughs> when the feedback is the exact opposite right. so i de- decided that i have to be very um, blunt hmm. and so i actually one of the things that i want lots of founders when i start talking is i, I don't know if somebody want you but you know i'm very blunt right uh, because that's the only way to get through that thick skin and uh, break that bullshit Hmm. uh so that's that's why i uh, call myself uh, i gave myself an olympic medal at uh, bullshit detection because it helps the founders I, i i truly do it because it helps the founders i think in our ecosystem uh, in our uh, kind of a culture uh, we misunderstand being nice and being kind right uh, so i want to be kind i don't want to be nice and so for me being kind means that if i have to uh, reflect a be a mirror and reflect something to a founder which is not pretty hmm. i would rather do that than uh, you know apply a zoom filter where they look nice in the mirror hmm. uh, but that's not being kind in the long term right yeah very interesting because just yesterday evening i was having a discussion with my co-founder uh, and we were talking about you know our clients who are founders typically having this reality distortion field right Correct. and it is needed for them to go ahead right i mean yes. in fact i was joking that see there are five chairs here the founder is going to believe that there are 15 chairs and yeah. it is going to make that happen maybe get close to 12 15 but after a point of time they need to also start uh, you know accepting reality right and that doesn't mean uh, uh, you know toning down their aspirations but just you know starting to think more about systems processes understanding their own you know uh, negatives if if you may want to call it or areas of improvement if i have to you know <laughs> also you know sugar cane sugar coated and that's where usually this you know challenge comes right there's this tension uh, that yeah you're sucking the soul out of my startup and and this and that so how has you know your being blunt been taken by you know people that you interact with yeah so uh, i realized that when i want people that i'm being blunt it works mm. much better right right uh, and uh, today i mean uh, the good thing is in the b2b saas kind of an ecosystem people mm. are sent to upeka mm. saying that they will tell you as it is right mm. so mm. people come in forewarned that okay this is not going to be uh, mm. you know pretty mm. Mm. Uh, so that helps prepare folks that okay this is not this is not going to be like where everybody else is trying to kind of sugar coat and stuff like that uh so i think that has helped a lot right uh but you know there are many cases where uh, we've literally you know brought founders uh, to a realization of uh, uh that they should you know probably move on from this startup right and so that has happened that is something that we've done uh, quite a lot of times where you know i'm not saying hey you know you should shut down or something like that but mm-hmm. i'm we provide the uh comparables we have them talk to people different people tell them right. you know these folks who are in these kind of places these mm-hmm. folks are in these kind of places and therefore you know what are you telling yourself mm-hmm. um so one of the tools that works uh, in that kind of a area and i literally was talking to a founder yesterday uh, yesterday or day before where i was saying this is that a lot of our founders in in the b2b context right they become code savers uh, so they want to do seva to others they end up doing code to do seva uh, in many cases they're not getting paid enough right so they don't have unit economics so if you don't have unit economics in a b2b essentially you're doing seva 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And now we should do seva for somebody who is poor or in an orphanage or whatever like that. Mm. Like, fine. Mm. Like, right. Go do it. Right. Mm. But you're trying to run a profitable business is my assumption. Correct. So why are you yeah. doing seva to a business? Right. Your customer's goal is to do profits. Mm. Your goal is to do profits. Mm. How does it make sense to do seva uh, right. for someone else? Mm. Right. In the form of code. Correct. Mm. And that hurts a lot yeah. of tech founders. Mm. Right. Mm. And then the because the concept that we are trying to write, derive drive is you know every line of code that you write whatever you do how profitable is that for you? It's not just about okay x number of people are using it and or whatever right? You might have sold it, but actually you know in most cases a lot of products ninety percent of the code is not even used because they built so many features which are not being used at all and founders don't want to accept that right? So that is a bullshit. Uh, that we're talking about. So I built a product, nobody's using it. Extreme case. I built a product, ninety percent of it is not being used. I am building n number of new features, thinking that it will get me more uh, revenue. Right. But in fact, out of my previous uh, n uh, features, you know, n minus one features are not used. Mm-hmm. Right. Only one feature is being used. Mm-hmm. Now I do. I think that you know, if I double the number of features, double the line of code, suddenly revenue right. mm-hmm. it's not going to increase. Right. Right. But founders are so attached. Mm-hmm. And they bullshit themselves, right. saying, you know, this customer uses this feature. That have you gone and actually checked? Correct. Right? And one mm-hmm. of the things that we make people do, for example, is you say instrument your code and tell me which feature is being used, how much. And they don't want to do it uh, because they know what it is. They know the answer, right? So they don't want to do it because then they will have to face that you know this feature which they spent eighteen uh, months building and only one customer out of your forty customers is using it. And you spent literally probably you know anywhere between a hundred thousand dollars to if you account for it probably right. half a million dollars mm-hmm. to build that feature. Mm-hmm. It's only one customer is using, no right. customers are buying. Mm-hmm. And now you are telling me that you have another list of ten more features like this, mm-hmm. which are going to get you more sales. Right. Then I don't have to ask anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right. The founder looks at it and is like, uh, she or she is like, okay, yeah, I, you know, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Right. But getting them to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is not easy, right? Right. Yeah. So you know, one one thing that uh, stood out for me was that you know people are being sent to you to get the blunt news, right? Uh, so they are probably already self-selected then, right? They know that yeah, I'm here forewarned that okay, Prasanna is going to just blow me to smithereens, and you know I I need to be ready for it. How do you deal with the you know with the innocent? uh you know un, uh, somebody is not uh, ready for this how do you deal with that I, it's the same i just tell them i'm going to be blunt hmm. i'm going to tell you this if right. they don't know me from before they get a shocker hmm. right i have had cases where uh, you know or second cohort one of the founders uh, still tells people you know i spoke to prasanna in 2015 and he told me these things i didn't understand what he was saying uh, and then when uh, two years later i realized what you know we had just done a lot of mistakes that he said we should not do uh, but only after i did this mistakes i realized that uh, you know that's what he was trying to warn me about so i have you know quite a few cases of people uh, remembering that uh, right. i have there are quite a few cases where people said you know thank you for like saying this because we've spoken to lots of people mm-hmm. uh, but nobody has actually said it clearly mm-hmm. right uh and, and it's usually nobody has said it clearly is wrong people were telling them Correct. but you know nobody told them in a blunt and mm. transparent way 
so a lot of people have thanked some people get pissed off very few uh, but some people do get pissed off saying oh, what do you know about this uh, you know you you don't know anything about this uh, kind of a thing and i'm like sure man it's your business you run it the way you want to uh, i have seen lots of b2b businesses i will not if you're a b2c business i'm not even going to comment on your business right i tell you i don't know i have lots of people asking me for feedback on their b2c business and you know <laughs> i say I, i i don't know enough i have no clue i i don't want to know more about b2c business but if it's b2b then i have seen literally i've spoken to probably 1000 2000 founders in b2b i've seen various different saas models uh, so you know i can kind of bucket you into uh, where you are compared to other founders uh, who are trying to be on the same journey we have some very good mental models Hmm. for b2b and saas hmm. hmm. so when i put your startup into that mental model i get some conclusions fairly quickly which you know may be difficult for you to uh, understand how i'm coming to those hmm. conclusions hmm. but i usually try to explain the framework we've written about a lot of those frameworks online right. so i refer them yes. and say go go and see this video then correct you, you might get what i'm saying hmm. Hmm. Uh, so you know we're able to jump to that kind of a potential set of hmm. issues hmm. that people come into quickly so most people take it well uh, right. yeah so i try to not to comment on areas which you know i have no clue mm-hmm. right right so one thing that i have noticed is you know usually founders at least start with the assumption that whatever they are doing is unique it's you know the first in the world that that's happening but other times the articulation of the product or solution might be very unique but the underlying core you know business metrics usually are similar if not the same right so how difficult is is it for these you know most of them being engineers or you know tech uh, founders to get build that appreciation for the underlying you know business dynamics of of the company yeah so you know uh, the internal company metrics for a b2b company are mostly similar hmm. but the stage at which we are typically working with founders the internal metrics don't matter there's right. nothing correct hmm. uh so what matters is the external things right and the external things typically are much more qualitative than quantitative hmm. Hmm. and so most of the time what we are trying to do is help founders get into the customers and the prospects head hmm. and figure out hey you know which customer has problems that are worth solving right uh so we don't think about it as a you know am i unique or hmm. that's not what we are trying to address at all hmm. i don't hmm. care okay right? hmm. what we care about and we are very boring that way right we hmm. work with b2b saas business we Correct. work with b2b business hmm. most b2b business are very boring they're not exciting we're trying to help somebody who's a manager or an employee in another company do their job better that's all it is not rocket science so you're trying to figure out hey who are these people what problems do they have do enough of them have problems that are worth solving because those problems are urgent those problems are high value those problems are repetitive and it's a problem that you can solve if these things are covered and you're solving that problem with software and you can get a recurring payment for it whether it's monthly or annual given the indian dna and indian cost structure you can make a lot of money that's the math right that's it mm-hmm. it's not rocket science correct now the challenge comes when founders are not looking at one unified customer persona hmm. and they are trying to build something for five different customer personas hmm. Hmm. or you know you think it's the same customer persona but actually customer 
of type A and type B and type C are very different, even though they might be in the same industry. Hmm. Hmm. There's something else that is differentiating. Right. Hmm. Right. So for us, it's not about the metrics. It's hmm. about the key concept that we try to get founders to understand is problem value. Hmm. Hmm. Are you solving a valuable problem? If you're hmm. solving a valuable problem for people anywhere in the world today, the internet helps you have your website as a salesperson and sell to anybody anywhere in the world 24 by 7 and make money while you're sleeping. Right. So, but uh, figuring out how much is that problem value? Is it high? Is it low? Can I quantify it? Can I not quantify it? Is it repetitive? It's not. It's urgent. It's not. Who is it urgent for? Who is it repetitive for? Who is it high value for? That is the struggle for most founders that I've seen. What you are saying from a metrics perspective is more about org scaling, uh, where founders might be, you know, generalists or founders might be specialists and they don't have enough of an understanding about the entire system to put a system and a process into place. So typically we see that stage after a half million or a million in revenue where they need to transition. And we do something for them in that stage. But again, it's not about the metrics. It's about what you said a little earlier, which is, hey, what is, is the founder and their team? What are they good at? What are they not good at? When they look at an org structure 12 months or 24 months down, what does that org need to look for this business to be 3x or uh, 4x of where it is and therefore can you structure that org with what skills are missing what gaps do you need to fill and how do you scale that that's how we think about it the metrics are more of a uh, you know something that just uh, you use to track whether you are on the right hmm. path hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, but in an early stage startup the metrics can't be the uh, what keeps you right you know, going yeah, because yeah. The metrics are sparse, they yes. they're all over and yeah. doesn't doesn't really add up. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It has always it always I think has to be the story backed with the metrics. Uh, okay. It has to be a, a good judicious combination of both, right? Absolutely. Uh, it, it can't be either or. <laughs> I yeah. think uh, at that stage it's, it's very uh, tricky to take that uh, you know uh, spectrum stance. So coming back to founders. Uh, when you start working with founders, you know, what are the innate things that you are looking in founders? What gives you this confidence that, yeah, they're, you know, they're going to, they're coachable. They're going to understand this. Like we discussed earlier, there's always this, you know, thick skin and that reality, reality distortion field, which gets them going to start with. But they also need to be coachable, right? They need to start seeing things as they are as well. So what are the innate things that you see and what are the things that you feel people can learn as they grow go ahead in this journey? Yeah, so you know, my personal uh, philosophy is that anybody can learn anything right? to varying degrees of success. Hmm. Uh, but most of the traits or uh, most of the things that you need for succeeding in a B2B business, you, you can be whatever kind of person and you can succeed. Hmm. Uh, the trick is to make sure that you as a founding team are have the sufficient complementary skills so that you're uh, rounded. Right. But I don't think a single person has to be of a certain kind to be able to succeed. Mm -hmm. So the most important aspect in that context is, uh, does a person feel that they can grow? Whatever they need to learn because mm -hmm. they can't uh, get somebody else to do it. Are right. they able to learn? Uh, are they able to see reality as is without too much of a rosy tint? Uh, are they ready to listen to peers? and listen to others who have been on that journey before and not be defensive and not say, I know everything, right? 
so th that's basically what we look for in founders, right? So humility, uh, ability to listen, ability to see the world as it is. If these are there, then I think, and, and ability to, you know, learn from others. If these are there, I think, you know, folks can build a great B2B SaaS business by filling up the team with folks who uh, do well. The challenge comes, I've seen some founders who are like, you know, and I've, those are the experiences from a coaching perspective that don't work out well. So, you know, founder comes, asks you something. As soon as you ask some more questions hmm. and uh, then they answer and then you give some suggestions, they're immediately, they will say like, yeah, 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 I've done that or, you know, no, yeah, 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 I'm, I was thinking about doing it. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Hey, if you were thinking about doing it or, you know, you were going to do it, then, hmm. you know, why come to me? Right. Number, hmm. number two, yeah, sure. Like, go ahead and do it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but like, there's a lot of defensiveness. Hey, I tried that; it didn't work. Or, mm -hmm. and you know that it can't be true because you ask some questions, and you know if they had tried it, then th this is not where they would be. Type. Right. Mm -hmm. So the defensiveness and that uh, caginess of you know everything that you ask mm -hmm. gets back some answer, mm -hmm. and nobody has answers to all questions. Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so that becomes more of a, you know, hey, I know what I'm doing mm. is the is what the founder wants to project right. mm. uh, versus, a, you know, this is where it is. Mm. Mm. How can I get some help? Right. Mm. And being able to take help from unlikely people and taking lessons from unlikely people mm. is something that's very important because mm. you never know who will be giving you a lesson that you need. And so a lot of these kind of founder, they're not able to take lessons from others. They have some mental image that the only person who can help them is, uh, you know, maybe a Jobs or a Bezos or, you know, whatever, right? So that's that becomes a little bit of a challenge. But other than that, most founders, and, you know, we, we filter for that. So we make sure that founders of the second type don't even get into the program or in most cases, we are not in conversations with them about that. Uh, so it works out well for us because then the peer group is able to help them a lot more because then they are honest with their problems. Uh, in the past, we've had issues where people who are not honest with their problems so and we everybody ends up trying to solve something else that's not your problem but you didn't say this was your problem you said this is your problem then we'll try to solve this together right. mm. but if you say this is my problem mm. then we're going to try to solve that together right mm. so that i think is very critical and so now we kind of create a psychological safety mm. uh, yeah. within the founders saying right. that between these founders you're going to be you, you should tell the truth mm. you have to be able to be open Whatever your problems are, you know, you have to say, because all the other founders here also have the same problems. Correct. <laughs> Nobody here is like without problems. Mm -hmm. right? So, But if you share, then you might get a good answer. Right. right. If you're defensive, then you're not going to get a good answer. Correct. Correct. So any, any uh, you know, quick tests that you can share about how you filter? Uh, so, so one is, it's driven a lot by referrals. Hmm. Uh, two is, we put this person out that we are very blunt and... Correct. We're doing this stuff. Mm. So there are some folks who come in to test that. Okay. Mm. Right. They just, they don't want to be part of this, but they just want to see mm. right, how it is. So mm. we're okay. I mean, you want to test the test, but you right. know, that's not how this works. Mm. Right. Mm. But for the large part, I think, uh, you know, we, we have a filter process in the interview process where we just check, you know, what have they done before? How, how do they respond to feedback? Do they ask for feedback? Those kind of things. Right? It's a pretty standard stuff. Uh, just applied more rigorously. And if somebody fails that, if there is even a hint of a red flag that, you know, this person is not uh, taking feedback and stuff like that, then, you know, we drop. Right, right. 
Yeah. And if you can quickly talk about the cohort, you know, what happens when, you know, someone joins the cohort, if you can, you know, briefly talk about that. Sure. Uh, so the newest cohort started uh, this week on Tuesday. Right. Hmm. So we actually start uh, very differently from most accelerators. Hmm. We actually start with uh, cognitive biases and how to make decisions. Right. Hmm. Uh, so that's literally the first working session hmm. where we ask folks to think about what is the last decision, big decision that they made. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what is the last big wrong decision that they made? Hmm. Wrong is obviously in hindsight. Right. Then we actually do an exercise of how cognitive biases shape decision making and how as founders what are some cognitive biases which impact founders right uh, so one is of course uh, there is a, a positivity bias right so you get feedback from customers 10% is positive 90% 70% is neutral 30% is negative you only listen to the 10% and you say wow amazing feedback yeah, yeah. right and then you mm -hmm. forget about the 90% that was mm -hmm. either negative or neutral Correct. Hmm. So that is something that in the early stage hurts a lot because you go to a customer, you only listen to what they said that is good. Hmm. You reject what they said doesn't fit your worldview. Hmm. Hmm. Then you walk away thinking, I can work with this customer. In fact, the customer was trying to tell you, I can't work with you. Hmm. Hmm. So those are the kind of biases that hit founders. And we try to help them understand the set of biases and how they impact. Uh, and you can't get away from these biases. You can't overcome these biases. Uh, you can't like... Uh, these biases are there in your brain, they're hardwired, so you can't do anything. Uh, so what we do is we give a set of uh, ways in which to, yeah. So essentially, we're trying to help founders get ways hmm. to avoid getting into situations where these biases will have effects. Hmm. Hmm. So plan your day better, have meetings when you have more energy, hmm. Hmm. manage your energy, not your time, hmm. uh, all of those kind of things. Right? Hmm. Hmm. So that's how we start the program. Hmm. And then we have a uh, a concept called the flywheel. It's the values as flywheel. And we believe that if any founders are able to build a revenue flywheel, then they become very capital efficient and they're growing and they're able to take it to a significant scale. Right? At which point they can choose to raise capital, not choose to raise capital. They can choose to scale. Yeah. So we are essentially trying to give founders tools for mm -hmm. them to manage their uh, biases better, and right. do better decision making because founders' mm -hmm. number one job is actually decision making. Mm -hmm. And but unfortunately, most founders actually don't understand that. Hmm. And they end up doing all kinds of things, sometimes avoiding the decision-making, sometimes doing the decision-making in a way which is very, very poor hmm. from a process perspective. Hmm. You're saying, unless you improve the process of decision-making, you're not going to make better decisions. The number one job as a founder is to make decisions. Everything else, you know, either somebody else can do or you can do after you make the decisions. Uh, but lots of founders postpone decisions, analysis, paralysis, so many other issues are there. We try to help them do that better. So that's literally the first week. We don't do anything B2B, anything SaaS, nothing like that. Right? Then we move on to the frameworks we have from B2B perspective. Number one is the flywheel. Uh, so we believe that a B2B business is about generating a, a revenue flywheel. So if you're able to build a revenue flywheel, then you can be very capital efficient. Then you can choose to be founder forever, or you can choose to raise capital and hyperscale, or you can exit. And now we have startups that are doing all three. We have four exits. Uh, we have one uh, or two startups that have raised at uh, you know 10 million plus kind of evaluation and we have uh, startups that have exit uh, that where the founders are basically going to run it forever right they're very profitable uh, they're making a couple of million dollars of profit a year mm -hmm. very happy they own 100 of the company upeka holds short, small stake but other than that they own mm -hmm. the entire equity and they're very happy running the business. Right. 
so the inner flywheel part is a qualitative part hmm. you know which geography are you going to hmm. which uh, icp are you targeting within that who has a problem what kind of problem do they have hmm. how do you do the positioning for them how do you do the pricing for them hmm. how do you hmm. what gameplay do you have for them right, right. Yeah. these are all qualitative choices and hmm. that takes about 3 months hmm. Uh, hmm. to go to and then there is the outer flywheel which is more quantitative which is hmm. you know how do i get my leads where do i get my leads how do i convert them right how do what kind of model is it land and expand is it a premium is there a free trial is there a free forever those kind of things right and then get them to become a customer get them to uh, pay you more and more over time and then get referrals from them so this is all stuff that is much more qualitative this is usually the uh, business of business Uh, so what we found is that from a B2B SaaS perspective, most of the mistakes hmm. are in the inner flywheel, in the qualitative parts. Correct. Hmm. And the symptoms are in the outside. I'm not getting enough leads. I'm not hmm. converting enough. Uh, my customers are churning. Hmm. All of that stuff. Hmm. So what we find is founders come to us with the symptoms, and we are helping them identify the root cause, which is typically right. much harder. Hmm. Hmm. And so we are helping founders fix the root cause. from the basics hmm, hmm. and then the outside stuff takes care of itself to a large hmm, degree hmm, hmm. and the outside stuff becomes execution and you can always hire somebody to do execute that but you can't hire anybody to fix the inner flywheel right, you have to do right. it as founders correct so that's kind of the staging of the program and once these two things are fixed then it still takes some time for the flywheel to build up momentum and the community is there to help we are there to help so it might take 6 months it might take 12 months 18 months Uh, but we have companies essentially growing faster now than they were growing five years ago and they are now doubling to doing two and a half x of growth with no capital uh, at a 1 mil plus range versus when they were at 10000 dollars a month they were struggling to get to 11000 dollars a month or 12000 dollars so that is the kind of a change that uh, we've seen by applying and making sure that the fundamentals work hmm. uh, it's slow it's not fast correct yeah. and so uh, you know we do it for b2b saas founders b2b founders uh, but the good part is most b2b founders are okay with that hmm. because your sales cycle is also 3 months correct. 6 months 9 months yeah. right yeah. so you know that nothing will happen fast hmm. Hmm. uh so that way it's it's like well aligned but once you build this flywheel hmm. and once you start building momentum around it it's hmm. crazy right uh, we have companies which are at like 4 million dollars in annual revenue frequent arr which are probably doing 2 million in uh, profits mm-hmm. cash okay. profits yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, you know let, let me interrupt you here uh, a bit person so you spoke about you know different kinds of companies and founders that you have you know from exit to people who are running these things so this is where i wanted to you know bring that founder choice sure. architecture that we wanted to talk about right um, so usually the the standard division that people see is oh i am either bootstrapped or i am uh you know raising vc money right, right. Uh, but clearly there are you know smaller thinner segments that you can look at in in terms of this universe and that is the kind of distinction that you are making and you know getting people to understand and appreciate and that's how they are you know taking yeah. these different paths so if you can just talk about what are these different choices that founders have and is it a you know is it a right or wrong or is it more about you know making a choice and then understanding the trade offs yeah so i think uh, you know one, one of my uh, friends which i uh, he heard this from his mentor mm-hmm. said uh, there are three jobs for a founder, for a ceo mm-hmm. right uh, one is 
keep money in the bank right two is make sure that the entire team is aligned hmm. and everybody's rowing in the same direction hmm. third is always have options so the third is always have options is called optionality so having options you know you want optionality you want to be able to make choices so the problem is a lot of founders box themselves into a place where they have no choice there is only one path you don't have choice it's no longer you driving right you're being driven by your previous choices that's it right and so what we find is that founders lock themselves into such a path too early uh one is by falsely you know thinking that i have to be bootstrapped or i have to be vc funded it's a false choice there's no choice like that in the universe and by locking themselves into that actually they don't have choices anymore the, their universe of choices is dramatically shrunk what we are saying is if you are capital efficient then your optionality is higher hmm. in the future hmm. than if you are capital inefficient right because if your balance sheet is red then you are dependent on capital providers hmm. and the golden rule if you've heard about it is that he who has the gold right makes the rules correct yeah so if you need gold to hmm. run your business because hmm. it's in the red yeah then whatever rules the capital maker capital provider makes hmm. are the rules you have to live by correct hmm. but if your balance sheet is black and you are profitable hmm. and you are capital efficient hmm. then the capital provider typically is after you to take capital and in that case you make the rules and therefore your choices stay open to us that is the fundamental dichotomy not bootstrapping versus vc but are you in control of the journey by being capital efficient by being profitable by being cash flow positive rather than being at the mercy of someone else because you are not cash flow positive you are you know as somebody says uh, paul graham says default debt right and then you are at the mercy of the capital provider today capital is flowing like i won't say like water because you know we have water scarcity but you know capital is just flowing like uh, you know polluted air in bangalore right uh, but you know that's not always going to be the case and when the tide turns everybody comes back to basics and fundamentals and ask questions about unit economics and cash flow and stuff like that so for us once founders make a choice saying i want to be capital efficient mm-hmm. and make that choice mm-hmm. then until they hit a initial scale and figure out this flywheel mm-hmm. right if they are capital inefficient at this stage Hmm. then it's a problem in the future because hmm. they would have burnt too much equity hmm. to figure this out hmm. if they burnt too much equity to figure this out the investors are looking for a 10x 100x return right. so you are set on that path but if you've right. been capital efficient hmm. and you've taken only angel investors small rounds of capital hmm. etc hmm. then once you once you say hit a million dollars or hmm. 5 million dollars in revenue hmm. then you can now take a fresh look and what we found when lots of founders cross a million is they look at it and say look you know what i this is not a great market maybe i can get to 3 million 5 million 7 million i don't think i can get to 100 right and so maybe i want to sell this and build another business now if you've raised if you are at a million dollar revenue and you've already raised 10 million that sale is not going to do anything for you or your employees right there's going to be no outcome for your you or your employees in that sense but if you raise only 200k and you're at a million hmm. 
and you can sell this business for 10 million hmm. or even 5 million hmm. then your investors who invested 200k are probably going to get you know a 7x 10x uh, or even a 5x return right you are going to make money hmm. your employees are going to make money hmm. Hmm. now you have enough money to bat again correct hmm. right the third thing that happens is we've seen founders who look at it and say you know what now at a million i can get to 5 and 10 i don't need to spend a lot hmm. i don't even need a lot of capital because i'm generating it right and of course today there are revenue based financing that is non dilutive i just need a little bit of capital or i need no capital and i can get to 5 10 million i don't know whether i can get to 100 but i love this space i have some folks who are security space they don't want to do anything else they're like i'm in security i'll be in security for the rest of my natural life and so they're like yeah what else will i do if i sell this so i'm just going to build this i'm growing 40 50% 60% year on year no outside capital very profitable i'll be founder forever right and we are happy with that and the third is they look at it and say look i'm at a million now and i can see how to get it to 30 and maybe from 30 we can get to 100 hmm. market is there i'm actually winning some great deals hmm. right i don't see any bottlenecks to get to 30 hmm. of course i need a better org you know i need a better team hmm. uh, i need a be- more capital to do those things hmm. Hmm. but the path is there correct you can see that hmm. i can see it as a founder hmm. I, can, i can see it hmm. right hmm. when that happens then we say should go for hyperscale right, right. Hmm. raise capital hmm. be judicious still it's not correct. that you're going to just burn money because hmm. yeah hmm. the good part is by the time the dna of the org will be to be capital efficient hmm. Hmm. and so then therefore they raised capital and you know imoca is a recent example hmm. uh, they raised only about 100k got to 700k then raised only about 700k got to upwards of 3 million and now raised a larger round because from 3 million they can see how to get to 30 and 50 right it's not even uh, there's no unknowns in the 30 journey other than team and that's fantastic outcome for the founders right Uh, because when they started up they were thinking uh, seven years ago they were thinking if i can sell this business for 5 million i'm good right now they are obviously you know at a multiple at a valuation of a little less than 100 million right so it's fantastic outcome for the team everybody right so that is the third option but let's say somebody took you know uh, a couple of million dollars uh, diluted 30% 35% and are now slowly getting to a million the first two options are not possible anymore right you mm. can't sell your business because you know you will be selling for less than what you raised mm. in most cases yeah uh, second option is not possible because the investors are fairly right it's absolutely fair mm. for them to ask where is my money correct mm. Mm. how are you going to give me a return mm. Mm. right and they can't give a fair return mm. and these are the companies that generally get acquired or go for a small exit and mm-hmm. you know nobody makes money right employees don't make money founders don't make money mm-hmm. right founders lose interest employees lose interest it becomes a game of attrition and right. yeah so when yeah. i look at you know most startups and divide that into these three possibilities mm-hmm. people taking capital too much too early basically mm-hmm. are by default removing the first two choices mm-hmm. of themselves and their team becoming successful hmm. and only shooting for the third and in a b2b saas b2b context where cash flow is possible where profits are possible where all this is possible i think that 
most founders should keep these options open until they cross at least a million or two million in revenue. And then they can lock on to the path. So that keeping the choices open is super important in the early stage. So that they have these choices. And then after that, if they continue to be capital efficient, they will still have these choices. But the moment you raise something like a, you know, 100 million, then you are saying basically I will go IPO. So you're saying I will go IPO or you know, you're trying to shoot for a, a billion dollar plus exit, mm -hmm. which there are only a few companies in the world which can buy you for a billion dollar plus. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's not possible, but basically you're saying I will go IPO. Correct, correct. Right. So do you want to lock your choice hmm. that way too early? Hmm. Versus when you actually have more insight into what kind of business you can build. That's the optionality bit that we want to empower founders with. Right. Right. So most founders don't know that these options exist. Correct. Hmm. Hmm. So we're trying to say, look, there are not, it's not bootstrap versus VC. Hmm. This, hmm. you know, do you want to be founder forever? Do you want to have a exit at some time frame and get some money back hmm. or do you want to hyperscale and you probably don't have the data today to make a good informed Correct. decision hmm. Hmm. on which of these choices you should throw away so until you have that insight hmm. don't throw away those choices right right that is what we are trying to Correct. educate so this is this is, like you said i think educating is the right word here uh, to be used right um, i know for a fact that many founders don't know this right or don't understand this and a lot of times they perceive that they have been pushed into a corner where, where while they're probably not right they still have enough choices but they feel that they're now in a corner and you know there's, there's only one option for them so what can be done to sort of you know just just increase the awareness you know get get people to understand these things better uh, you are doing a great job people who come to you get this but you know how, how does this get better for the whole ecosystem I think, see, that, that's our goal, right? So what we're trying to do is uh, uh, talk about value SaaS. Right. And that, that's something that we keep repeating ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. We say, don't do vanity SaaS. Correct. Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're doing value SaaS, then you are capital efficient, you have unit economics, you are then keeping those choices open. Mm -hmm. And by keeping those choices open, you are able to uh, have that optionality. Uh, and right. what we are trying to tell people is, Look, you became a founder because you wanted to make choices. Hmm. Most cases, founders become founders because they're in a situation where, you know, somebody is not letting them make choices. Right. And now they're like, okay, I want to make choices. I want to be the driver. Hmm. Let me drive. So if you are uh, getting into that situation and then locking yourself into a path, then it makes sense. Right? So that's why we, we've coined this value system and saying no vanity SaaS and we're trying to push that as a message, right? And the good part is like, there are some founders who have now crossed 10 million, $15 million who are self, not if not from Umpeka, but from outside who are identifying as, hey, I am a value as founder. This philosophy uh, makes sense to me. So that is what we are trying to do to educate people because our marketing budget is nearly zero uh, versus the folks who are selling vanity, their marketing budget is very large. Uh, so we can't compete with that directly. Right. So we're using a classic uh, gorilla marketing kind of a tactic uh, because obviously nobody in the world is going to say, yeah, I want to build a vanity SaaS business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to get them to the uh, good side of the force right. by appealing to their sense of value and fairness. Right, right. Yeah. Is, there, is there a cultural context also involved here? Do you see people from a certain kind of a background uh, resonate with this better? 
maybe geography, India, abroad. Is there any lens like that or is it wrong to even think on those lines? So, uh, my sense is that because we are saying B2B, hmm. value is already a large uh, determinant of most people's calculus. Hmm. Hmm. Right? Hmm. So, we're not going after B2C where you know that value is generally very different right correct hmm. uh, so in a b2b context most people who are doing b2b out by choice hmm. Hmm. Uh, understand that you know you, you're selling value you're selling value to a customer and they're paying hmm. you for that value hmm. Hmm. so it's not uh, it's not a stretch right yeah right? Uh, some cases they don't realize that they are doing vanity hmm. Hmm. correct which is they dangerous think, hmm. yeah Right. And that's because they are on this tra- trajectory because they think that that's the right thing to do. Right. Hmm. But when they hear this, then it's not something that you can say no to. Hmm. Hmm. The misunderstanding that people have is if you want to do value, you have to bootstrap. That's not the point. Capital is a tool. Right. You have to use it judiciously. Right. I'm not saying, you know, build a skyscraper without using uh, tools. I'm saying if you are building a skyscraper, understand what tools you need. If you end up selling the whole skyscraper to buy those tools, then you would have built the skyscraper, but man, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Once they realize that part, Hmm. and uh, the math is like this, right? When you look at public companies Hmm. in SaaS, in B2B, Hmm. the companies which have done really well after IPO, many Hmm. of them had larger founder equity. Correct. Yeah. Canonical example, of course, being uh, Microsoft. Which where the founders basically never took a venture round. Uh, they only did a venture round to uh, get uh, a VC who had uh, experience taking a tech company to the public market. Mm-hmm. And so the founders kept most of the equity. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so those companies have done extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. Companies which diluted too much mm-hmm. have not done as well. And this mm-hmm. is fairly well studied. So once we share that Hey, there is a company, for example, called Viva, where the founder took $7 million in equity, spent only $4 million out of that, got to $50 million in revenue, did an IPO, is now at a billion dollars in revenue in ARR on just $4 million raised. And by the way, this was not 40 years ago. They started in 2008, 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're in Pharma CRM, which is right. as boring and... <laughs> As niche an industry as you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. Right? Then, you know, whatever sector you're in, what is the problem? Mm -hmm. Right? Why can't you be capital efficient? They were in Valley. Yeah. And they burnt only 4 million to get to 50 million. Mm -hmm. Right? So once we share some of these examples, Mm -hmm. then they realize that, you know, then you go and look at some of the, you know, much more marketed companies Mm -hmm. and look at their S1s. Mm -hmm. And you realize that the founders have 3% equity at IPO, 4% equity at IPO. And then you're like, okay, you built the skyscraper, right? But you paid so much for the tools and the material that you don't own anything in the skyscraper. You don't even own one floor. Yeah, yeah. Except for the one parking spot. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you got a parking spot, right? (laughs) Now, that's for the founding founders, right? But the employees in many cases get it even worse. There are some $200 million exits where the employees got nothing because they had raised $150 million and did a $200 million exit. Employees don't get anything out of that. Correct. To me, that is a bigger shame. Right, right. Right. So, and so again, sorry, sorry to interrupt, uh, Prasanna here. 
what about the you know people who are joining you know these kind of startups it like you said it is extremely important for them also to know how founders are thinking yeah. right uh, you know do, do you see this you know as being a, a criteria for people when they join startups no people are thinking higher valuation is good Huh. they don't realize that higher capital raised means that more money has to be returned before they will see a single dollar correct yeah yeah uh, and there is this trend of uh, you know uh, liquidity from uh, venture capital uh, via esop buyback and stuff like that in companies that are not yet profitable hmm. have hmm. not yet proven out their business model right i have no clue what people are thinking here right correct. it's just like giving hmm. a higher salary yeah yeah right mm. so and people are thinking that that equity is worth something mm. so this makes no sense to me whatsoever from right. a fundamentals perspective correct mm. Mm. Uh, so i'm like very very confused about some of these things uh, over like cycles from 99 to now you know multiple cycles of going up and down uh, whenever things go so high up that i don't understand like how fundamentals will match what the hell is happening then i've learned to trust myself saying look fundamentals are fundamentals if there are no fundamentals the skyscraper is going to come crashing down one day or the other and we've seen that in the indian case with snap deal with paytm mm. with mm. many others where you know, where are the fundamentals right mm. and those employees are suffering now correct yeah uh, founders made out mm. but the employees are suffering right mm. so i think uh, luckily in b2b yeah it doesn't happen as often Correct, because correct. you know your customers will not let you go ahead of fundamentals too mm, often. Mm, mm. It still happens that in B two B people raise too much, don't get to enough revenue mm, and exit. Mm. Uh, happens, right? right? But not as often as in the uh, other side of the business. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think being in that you know non glamorous space is almost like a self selection yeah. criteria to be thinking uh, you know with your feet grounded. <laughs> absolutely so i've seen multiple cycles of where investors get excited about b2b right then they invest into b2b mm. raise up the valuations correct mm. then they realize that boss this is not a business where you can just grow your revenue by you know 10x every year mm-hmm. uh, it is very hard right yeah. your business your revenue is going to grow only by 2.5x 3x mm. year on year but it's 80% gross margins right you can't you can't say i will sacrifice gross margins to grow faster doesn't happen you will sacrifice the gross margins growth will stay the same so that uh, once they understand that then after some time new shiny toy comes you know that is uh, e-commerce or uh, quick commerce or uh, uh, you know whatever web3 nft whatever whatever and they're like oh shiny let me go there and they they gone right and then some sanity returns to the b2b side of things right and i've seen like three four cycles of this happening and i am good because yeah. you know most of the we are filtering and we are taking people who are good yeah, right. to build a business for 5 years 7 years mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. 15 years because that's right. how, how long it takes to build yeah, a business right. yeah yeah uh, you can't do it in 2 3 years mm-hmm. smith uh, mm-hmm. and on b2b side you can't do it in 2 3 years right. mm-hmm. um so we are we are good with that right and what i come back to and what i tell founders is look in 1991 there were 200 companies in india doing 100 million of it services exports mm. in 2002 there were 8000 companies mm. doing 12 billion dollars mm. of it services exports mm. that's what's going to happen in saas mm. stick around correct play, fun- play the fundamentals yeah play the long game you are going to be one of those folks who get to high revenue now for you for your business 
for the what you are selling for the market that you are selling into that high revenue maybe 2 million 5 million 10 million 50 million 100 million 200 million you don't know upfront right whichever type of business you want to build let's try to build it in that direction build it be deliberate about it, right can you always try to build a 100 million dollar business not possible can you try to build a million dollar business in any b2b space yes so i like what girish uh, said in his s1 said fresh works dreams in increments so yeah. we dreamt about the first 1000 dollar revenue then 10000 right. dollar revenue then 100000 dollar revenue then million dollar yeah. revenue mm-hmm. then you know 10 million dollar then 100 million and now they're thinking about billion dollar and 10 billion dollar right mm. so that dreaming in increments works very well in b2b right and we help people build the foundation in such mm. a way that they don't realize it but mm. we help them build the foundation in such that these choices are aligned where you know instead of locking yourself into a market where you could only build 3 to 5 million mm-hmm. maybe you can expand into adjacencies or the same market you can get to a 50 100 million so that's how we kind of help founders shape the fundamentals right so they're still dreaming in increments mm-hmm. you know 100k 500k million like that and as they get to each milestone however hopefully things open up and that's where the optionality plays so that you are having options to move into adjacencies or expand or increase your tam in certain ways and historically that's how it's been for most b2b companies right? they don't start out in a market which is all viva as example when they went ipo analysts public market analysts they were already 50 million revenue public market analysts said that this total market size is only 150 million don't buy viva stock okay hmm. this was 8 years ago 7 years ago or 8 years ago 2014 15 i think hmm. right they were already at 50 Hmm. and the analysts were saying they can't go more than 150 because the entire market is 150 right hmm. today they are at a billion dollars in revenue hmm. Hmm. right so how wrong were those analysts correct hmm. Hmm. right hmm. that one company could get to a billion it's crazy right yeah. so most companies anyway are building in increments and dreaming in increments hmm. Hmm. we are saying that's a capital efficiently if you want to do it that's how you have to do it correct correct otherwise we see somebody saying you know i'll get to you know 10 billion in revenue a billion dollar in revenue and then their you know their first round is valued at 50 million 100 million they've raised a lot of capital is it working are you able to get to a genuine good quality of 100k of revenue half million of right. million dollar that is just getting lost correct So you know we come to the end of our allotted uh, you know one hour. I think this deserves a, a follow up session. We'll be able to do that uh, anyway. But couple of questions to you know sort of round up uh, this thing. So at different stages, we spoke a lot about the 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 initial stage. I don't want to you know bucket it into you know seed angel or anything like that. Uh, the stuff that we spoke about. But if you want to generally put. say different stages of the life cycle of a company right from uh, you know the first mvp to say ipo slash uh, acquisition okay let's just take that as a life cycle what are the important challenges that founders overlook you know most commonly at different stages of this life cycle yeah so uh, you know my uh, mentor ravinar and uh, he I, i think in the microsoft accelerator we had this nice framework Uh, for thinking about it as what risks are you have you mitigated what risks do you still have mm-hmm. and so the number one risk of any business is market right so until you prove that a market exists for what you're mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. right uh, 
there is always a big risk right yeah uh, actually before that there is a you know tech slash product risk whatever you are building does it work so the number one is a tech slash product does it work right uh, but in most cases it's not a challenge other than the deep tech in b2b it's not a problem it will work second is uh, market is there a market for what you are building is there a, a large enough market for what you are building is there a market where you can build this product and sell it with unit economic viability right with good unit economics so the market risk is the second one where you right so most founders are going through a journey where they're first ameliorating the tech product risk then they're ameliorating the market risk right then there is a basically a execution risk hmm. right so are you able to assemble the right team are you able to uh, get the right people are you able to point them in the same direction are you able to get them to do the work you know are you able to deliver quality repeatedly hmm. all of those things are an execution risk right hmm. and so execution risk never goes away correct yeah but you can reduce it over time hmm. Hmm. and finally is the finance risk hmm. and finance risk again never goes away really even right. if you are extremely profitable correct it's always you know you're generating cash flows you're spending money correct hmm. Hmm. it's always going to continue hmm. Hmm. be there so when you think about a startup as a journey of mitigating these risks hmm. Hmm. one after the other right the mistake that lots of founders make is that they mitigate the tech product risk right but don't actually pay attention to the market risk and they put off the market risk they spend too much money on the tech and product don't have enough money to mitigate the market risk and fail so that's why we usually tell founders focus on the market risk because tech product in most cases you can build almost anything focus on the market risk once you mitigated the market risk and your product works then you can figure out to invest more in the tech and product right this of course does not apply to somebody making cancer drugs or uh, you know somebody doing deep tech you know some kind of ai x ray detection for cancer or stuff like that uh, but in most b2b cases like market risk is why companies fail hmm. and then once they cross that market risk threshold hmm. if the founders are not Uh, sufficiently skilled hmm hmm then they fail because they don't do the execution properly right hmm right you know, they don't take it seriously hmm uh, they don't know how to hire a org hmm uh, they they keep everything with them right they don't know how to delegate or they hmm. over delegate or they don't know how to hire a senior team correct hmm. right uh, they don't know how to hire a leadership team they don't know how hmm. to work hmm. with other leaders they have hmm. a hmm. you know some kind of a, a bottleneck in their own capabilities they're not hmm. able to scale up Hmm. that leads to a lot of execution risks hmm. right hmm. finance risk the good part of the world that we are living in there are different types of finance available infinite hmm. varieties of finance hmm. infinite amount of capital is available if these hmm. two uh, if the three these three things are done, sorted if product is sorted if market is sorted and if stack is sorted capital is available right of whatever kind you want right you maybe you want debt maybe you want revenue base maybe you want uh, something else it's fine Uh, so that's how i see the stages and so when i am evaluating i'm not looking at it as you know pre product etc i'm looking at how much of the market risk have they uh, mitigated right will they be able to build a product is more valuable to me correct than hey they built a product but they have no clue about the market hmm. is hmm. much worse for me. yeah yeah right yeah yeah i think that that's a great way of looking at it uh, you know it clears a lot of things for me personally as well <laughs> so you know one of the last questions 
you know what books people podcast have shaped your thinking and you know what do you recommend to the founders in your cohort and you know others so so i think uh, you know one of the uh, books that i like recommend a lot uh, is uh, you know goal correct uh, yeah, yeah. by uh, goldrack yeah yeah so you know goldrack uh, it's a fantastic book i think anybody running a uh, startup should read uh, goldrack's all the, all his books uh, especially the third book i think talks about software third or fourth book talks about software it's fantastic uh, it's something that uh, must is a must read then uh, you know, i think that that's a good start uh, if you're building a tech business uh, this is a hard book to get it's very expensive uh, it's called selling the wheel uh, if you're anything in tech if you're building this is fantastic read uh, it's mind blowing i i never heard of it till this year uh, bought it uh, i wish i had read it like 20 years ago but like could have been very different uh, the author actually wrote it in 99 i think uh, it's it's just this is mind blowingly good mm-hmm. uh, so these are like couple of books that i think are uh, really have shaped how uh, i think about uh, startups and mm-hmm. uh, building startups and stuff like right. that i am not a big podcast listener uh, okay. i i some i like to read books mm-hmm. uh, i read a lot right uh, so like if you want book recommendations i have i, I mean i i, I literally have yeah. a large <laughs> pile of books here uh, and uh, this is just like this is just some books there is a bigger pile somewhere else sorry right. yeah uh, so book recommendations too many uh, mm-hmm. but these would be like i think for any founder if they read this these two mm-hmm. books they will understand a lot better of actual dynamics of how things work mm-hmm. in a business right uh, then they would otherwise mm-hmm. okay okay and and any people to follow on social media twitter uh yeah so uh, you know my co-founder rajan is uh, much better at twitter than i am empty uh, mm-hmm. rajan mt r a j a n right uh, i think in a b2b kind of a context i think mm-hmm. uh, uh, there are lots of folks to follow uh, mm-hmm. uh, there are uh, a couple of folks who run a uh, interesting uh, site called forgetthefunnel.com claire and gia uh, so they 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 put out some really good stuff very grounded very uh, driven by fundamentals uh, very very good uh, stuff Uh, on uh, you know how to build and uh, they don't focus more on the product side of things but like on the market side of things uh, on how to choose what problem to solve and once you've done that how do you market that how do you sell that well uh, they do very very like it's is very clear right it's very clear and there's no fluff then uh, you know uh, jason lemkin has sold a business transaster mm-hmm. uh, does a really good does really good content mm-hmm. uh, in an indian context uh, you know paras mm. uh, is a good follow on social mm. uh, he writes a lot mm. uh, a lot of the indian uh, saas founders are not very active on uh, mm. twitter or social media so right. mm. you know, not much uh, not much to follow there yeah yeah i think but there's there's space for somebody to you know sort of storyify all the great work that you know they are doing maybe Yeah. accident is like you should also you know put the spotlight on on these yeah. people uh, i have i have come to know so many people through you know following people like you right that oh these are the guys who are doing great especially because like you said the b2b uh, you know space is not there in the news all the time right yep. so somebody needs to put the spotlight on them so yeah absolutely <laughs> and i think you guys have got great content on your uh, 
you know site as well so i yeah. recommend so that so we have our side. own <laughs> ebook uh, as well right the right. value saas guide correct uh, which we recommend to all saas founders mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. growing yeah. up right you've been too humble not to recommend that earlier but i will do that <laughs> thank you yeah so final uh, section prasanna uh, you know i'm going to ask you three things uh, and i want your hot take on what is the future relevance of that right so first is uh, you know what do you think is the future relevance of traditional startup centers like bangalore gurgaon hyderabad pune mumbai you know are they going to still be relevant post 2020 is it you know not not that important what do you think i think uh, for folks trying to figure out who to work with and how to work with people uh, there's going to be a transition period when people don't know how to work remotely where these centers will work really well hmm. uh, but more and more we'll see companies where founders have never met each other hmm. Hmm. in person hmm. and they're working together it's working great and uh, they're making revenue and you know they're both sitting in some random places with no cost of living and you know they're building million dollar businesses 100 million dollar businesses right? mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I, i i think they are relevant from for investors because investors like to be close to their uh, the startups that they're funding right uh, but for founder i think it no longer matters mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. uh, but building that early network used to be easier because you were in the same company you were in the same a place you meet people and stuff like that i think that is going to evolve in a different way i don't know how mm-hmm. uh, but i think for that it's still worthwhile coming to meetups and doing stuff right mm-hmm. but i think the function of work as a networking space is mm-hmm. going to change not mm-hmm. go away but change how it was done mm-hmm. and there is going to be more emphasis on networking for networking sake mm-hmm. that people do mm-hmm. go to events go to uh conferences go to these kind of things just for networking not for the gyan that the conference is giving mm-hmm. but just for the networking i think that is going to increase but that will not be in a bangalore or these kind of places right? it could be anywhere mm-hmm. okay uh what do you think is the future relevance of incubation centers and these entrepreneurship courses that are being run in you know traditional institutes um so the only two that i've heard work well uh, one is a babson uh, college in the us mm-hmm. uh, another my mentor professor saras uh, she teaches a course in university yeah, of virginia taken a course uh, in us yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah. those i've heard uh, are good for shaping actual entrepreneurs a mm-hmm. uh, lot of the other people who are teaching entrepreneurship at these entrepreneurial centers have never done a startup in their mm-hmm. life if mm-hmm. a startup hits them in the face they will not know what a startup is right uh, there it's more cargo culting of you know uh, build a business model do this do that versus mm. real work of build a startup mm. which is figuring something out of nothing right so i think those centers where it's not being taught by entrepreneurial folks it's not mm. being taught by uh, people who've done startups before and uh, maybe unfortunately they're in a place where there are not too many startups mm. they might be providing inspiration and they might be providing a context mm. but i don't think that they are teaching useful skills mm-hmm. which is the 99% of unfortunately entrepreneurial education mm-hmm. today okay okay and final one what do you think is the future relevance of the olympic games i am not a sportsy person but you have to take a uh, give me olympics, a hot take on this uh, <laughs> i've never watched the olympics like i i literally have no clue uh, i i don't care about it right 
uh so you know if it stays you know people are happy fine if it goes yeah. completely indifferent about it <laughs> yeah. yeah so so maybe there going to be more people who are going to be like you going to be completely indifferent yeah. about uh, the olympic medal as we know i think over the last 6 or 7 editions it's been a loss making uh you know venture for cities so it's not really been you know economically viable Uh, and cities have been backing out of you know even bidding for games so i see you know going by your lens of you know <laughs> evaluating <laughs> ventures it's, it's already you know not doing well right? yep yeah yeah so on that note i think this is a fantastic conversation we covered a lot of area you know we spoke about your you know bs detection vanity metrics value you know uh, saas what should founders be thinking i think there were a couple of truth bombs Uh, you know, thrown very nonchalantly there, uh, which we're going to try and capture and put them in the promo of of the conversation. But uh, thanks a lot. This is fantastic. Thanks, Harish. Thanks for having me on. Uh, pleasure to be here. If you like this, we know you care about your and your team's future results. You can find us and you now click on the subscribe button on YouTube, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. There are two ways to enter the insider group of friends of CTQ: a Telegram channel where you'll get daily tidbits that help you think about future relevance, and our weekly email newsletter called the Up Leveler. We've got some fabulous testimonials from our subscribers. We share special discount codes for CTQ compounds and exclusive invitations to our events on both these channels. Just go to choose to think. dot com. That is think with a Q, and you'll find all the links to subscribe. You owe it to yourself.